episode of Murder, Myth, and Mystery. I am one of your hosts, Mary, and I'm joined with Eric. Hello. And Pam. Hi. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's really loud. That was so eager. I loved it. It's my last episode. It is. Thank you for joining us. For of course. This month. It was fun. Yeah, it was good times. It's hey. always good to hang out with Pam. Yay. Hey. Eh. I'm still just going to come over every Monday. <laughs> just hang out. <laughs> That's why we have to change our door locks so often, the key code. <laughs> she just wants to come over and hang with the dogs. I get That's it. That's true. I would, too. <laughs> I want to hang out with Aspen, her her pupper. Oh, yeah. Aspen's a big sweetheart. Not Clementine? Rude. I love Clemmy to death. But Aspen's really sweet. Like, Clemmy's like... Clemmy's like a. Clemmy has the dog version of resting bitch face. <laughs> she also has like ADD. She has to constantly be like, nope, I don't want attention here. I need attention over there. I need to run over there and check this hound. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> the other one's a hound too. So, but she comes over and's like, hey, I need some love. So I'm like, okay, I can get Different you hounds. <laughs> yeah. She's a sweetheart. They're both sweet dogs. They're both super cute. Yeah. Big personality, but Clem seriously has. Oh, she's like a little version of me. Like she doesn't want physical attention unless it's like on her terms. Mm -hmm. She's like cool just to do her own thing. The wrinkles in the forehead, (laughs) and she doesn't put up with shit. And neither do I. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Clem's awesome. Anyway, adorable. Yeah. But again, for real, thank you so much for helping us out. You're welcome. Yeah, it was a good month. Uh, hey, we got a new patron. Sweet. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So we have a new $10 patron, Chris Lasky. Thank you, Chris. Yes, thank you we so much. It. Chris. And, you know, I've had a few people that have become patrons recently that I still haven't gotten your information back from you. So please, if you recently became a patron and you have not gotten your shout out, please check your email. <laughs> There's an email in there from us. So, yeah. Check your spam. Check your spam. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're spamming you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, real quickly, a couple things. Um, the Halloween card exchange will be posted on the 7th and will end on the 11th. Now, in the past, it's been with all social media channels um, since not everyone has Facebook. But this year, it's going to be primarily Facebook. In the past, it's always only just been a handful of people on Twitter, or Snapchat, or uh Instagram. Instagram. That other one. Yeah, I totally <laughs> forgot. And then I would have to be the middleman connecting you with people who are on Facebook still who had open spots. Because that is too much work, it's primarily just Facebook this year. Yep. So if you want to participate, Facebook will have the official post on the 7th. Um, now, going back a day on the 6th. we will have the first share sunday post and that will happen every sunday through december if you have a website etsy store etc and sell art jewelry metalwork yada 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 then share your link in that post basically small business sunday Mm -hmm. we have tons of talented weirdos and the holidays are fast approaching so support your local weirdo <laughs> That's what? such a great marketing campaign. I like it. Support your local weirdo. <laughs> Guess I should have thought that out. But I stick with it. Support your local weirdo. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Speaking of Facebook, make mm. sure you're everybody listening. Make sure you're following all of our social medias Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook page, and join the group. 
we have a lot of fun in there. Mm-hmm. Good types. <laughs> Sorry, I was right in the middle of a yawn. She's real excited for today. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and uh, for our patrons, I just want to give a quick sorry uh, for the $10 and up patrons that did not get their episode on time this last week. Uh, we had some technical difficulties happen. So, those. And my schedule and work projects. So, yeah, exactly. So, uh, instead of Thursday, we loaded it on Saturday. So, if you thought that we just didn't load it, go back and check. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We like the subject matter for that patron episode, Love Triangle. We three also were having a triangle of issues. <laughs> but not a love but triangle. Not a love. No, no. 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 All right. Who has murder? I do. Okay. So today I'm going to be talking about one of the most popular events in the world. Octoberfest. Oh, oh I'm like, uh, Mary's birthday. Oh, that is yes. really popular. I mean, that is up there. <laughs> this isn't quite as long, though. Month. Like, Oktoberfest is like 16 to 18 days, and Mary's birthday is the whole month. That's so. true. Yeah. Well, yes. And then you have pre and post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can't forget about those. The 11 months before and after. 11 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's her birthday year, everybody. <laughs> stop. Okay, stop. <laughs> okay, so here in Utah, one of our ski resorts does a pretty fun Oktoberfest celebration every weekend from mid-August to mid-October. And if you are local and you haven't been up there, um, I would highly suggest going. It's kid-friendly. It's free. I mean, the drinks and food aren't free, but just going is free. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really pretty. It's nice to get up there in August when... It's really hot down here. Yeah, it is. We didn't go this year. We haven't been in a few years. Well, it's so boring. (laughs) After you just talked it up, sorry. It's so awesome. It's so. It it is neat if you've never been. The problem is, is that it doesn't really change year over year. Yeah, that's true. But the food is awesome. Mm -hmm. They have awesome, cool, like oompa music going on, Mm -hmm. and lots of beer and whatnot. Uh, Yeah, it's it's good times. It's fun. And they're like she said, the view. You're up at the Snowbird. Yeah, my biggest complaint is, is that it's since it's at snowbird ski resort it's at the top of little cottonwood canyon which is a very steep canyon to to drive up and down and so they're having all these people go up there and drink heavily and then drive down this canyon the 15 miles or whatever down the canyon i didn't drive when i was there last weekend okay good girl this weekend she said (laughs) (laughs) i didn't drive last time either i went twice this year i didn't drive either time okay all right but i'm sure the people i was with who were driving were drinking it is good times though it is it is fun oh, it's fun like i said the um like eric was saying the music and the food and the views yeah, yeah. But, i mean the beer you can just get anywhere down here yeah it's just local brewers yeah. but yeah but still. it's just i would like to see it more of a festival it's just yeah. a bunch of tents selling like Sensi wax and <laughs> shit that has nothing to do with October. No, seriously, yeah. <laughs> Clothes, <Okay. laughs> yeah. Seriously, that aren't even like yeah. it's not even like German style no. stuff. Actually, Eric and I almost started a booth um, a couple years ago because when we went uh, a couple years ago with our friends, we all dressed up like Oktoberfest girls. Nice, except even for me. Except for Jess, she accidentally bought a pirate wench. <laughs> it it kind of still worked. It worked. Had the puffy sleeves. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. Yeah. She still looked cute. Pirate okay. wench, beer wench, whatever. But, uh, yeah, and I, 
I love to dress up and look, wear wigs. And so I had a blonde long wig on and the short little Heidi costume, as it was called, you know. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. And our friend Lisa, she has the long natural blonde hair. But And we bought the boys the, I can't remember the term for the the hats with the feather. I can't remember what they're called either. Yeah, I don't know. It's like a little fedora. Yeah, but they were green and they had like a gold rope and feathers in them. And people kept stopping us all the time asking us like, oh, and then I got us like little October Beer Fest uh, necklace shot glasses and stuff. Oh, nice. And so we got stopped all the time. Like, oh, where did you get that? Where did you get those hats? And like just a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. Like they have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, get a booth. And so we looked into it, but then I was like, I don't want to drive up there every week. <laughs> yeah, it's like eight weeks long or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably would have made a killing doing it, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. leader hosing and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be talking about Oktoberfest in Munich. Okay. The big main the the big one. The real one. Oktoberfest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oktoberfest actually started way back in 1810. And it's actually only been canceled a couple times during both world wars and then for some random stuff kind of here and there. Um, But otherwise, it's been going ever since then. Um, It became kind of a public festival in 1811, so just the year after. But just a couple quick facts. About 6.5 million people attend Munich's Oktoberfest every year. Holy crap. That does not sound like it's a good time. No, in 16 to 8, it's like, depending on the year, between 16 or 18 days, because they want to stop it by October 10th. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Six and a half million people. That's crazy. That is so many people. We've had a few friends go there. Yeah, we have. And they had a good time, but... I've seen footage of the crowds, and it is insane. It looks absolutely insane. Yeah, they just said it was. Uh, how how did Stevens describe it? I I think she said it was like your average like outside concert times ten. Oh, like the drunky. Oh yeah, and the smells and everybody crammed like, together. Oh, yeah. People just fighting. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and the last time it was measured, there was about 1.8 million gallons of beer served. Oh, damn. Dang. Which tells me that there's a a huge amount of people that are not drinking enough beer. Well, yeah. So that's like 6.7 million liters. Uh So that's like one liter a person. But kids go and stuff like that all the time. Okay. So there's a lot of kids that go. (laughs) go europe (laughs) in america we're like wait you're taking your kids to a beer festival but then again you know snowbird tries to do the same thing i guess but it's not nearly as drunken mess but for the record snowbird has that huge like they got the alpine slide and all that stuff and they set up a bunch of stuff yeah they set Mm -hmm. up a bunch of stuff like specifically for kids yeah so in munich you're just tagging along your kid while you get wasted i mean that's why I don't have kids. <laughs> Samesies. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So by 1980, Oktoberfest had evolved into kind of what we think of it today. So again, those huge tents. There's actually a lot of carnival rides too. Oh, okay. So yeah, it's kind of a mix between that music and of course the beer. Mm-hmm. So on the night of September 26, 1980, as crowds were leaving the festival for the night, an extremist named Gundolf Kohler was planting a bomb in a metal trash can near the main exit. The bomb was made up of 1.3 kilograms of military explosives inside of a British grenade, and it was modified to fragment on explosion so it could cause the most casualties. 
The bomb went off at 10.19 p.m., again, as a lot of people were leaving the festival for the night. It killed 13 people, including Kohler himself, who didn't get away in time. The blast radius was the size of a football field. Wow. Yeah. And that's... Jeez. Yeah. So that's not the whole ground is blown up, but that's like the Where heat shrapnel wave, got shrapnel, to. everything like that. Okay. Because the modified grenade shell and it was in a metal trash can, even more... Like the witnesses described it as like just metal raining from the sky oh wow Mm -hmm. so 13 people were killed like i said about another 220 people were injured so 11 of those ended up having to get their limbs amputated most often their legs because the blast was at waist level out Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah Jeez. okay and this was only eight years after the olympic bombing that happened in munich oh yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. well that was like yeah the munich olympics thing was a whole mess but yeah yeah wow so investigators soon learned that kohler was responsible for the attack and it turns out he was actually already on their radar so he was only 21 years old but he was already involved with the neo-nazi group Verschportgruppe hoffman or like I'm gonna call it WSG. <laughs> to see her little victory dance over there after she said that was was uh, worth everything. Was oh, great. I had to I had to have my friend call me. My oh, your German friend? Andy, well, no, Andy. So she speaks German, and I was like, "You need to tell me how to pronounce this." <laughs> um, but we're just gonna call it WSG. That works. Yeah. So WSG was formed by Karl Heinz Hoffman in 1974, and he soon amassed a militia of like-minded individuals, and they carried out training exercises, which included hand-to-hand combat, um, target and shooting practice, and explosives training. And because of this relationship between the two, officials raided WSG's property the week after the bomb went off at Oktoberfest. So they found large amounts of all different kinds of munitions, um, explosives, detonation devices, but there was nothing there that tied any of their explosives specifically to the bomb that Kohler used. Ah, okay. And all of the WSG members except Hoffman denied knowing Kohler, even though it's known for a fact that he participated in at least two paramilitary exercises with them. And he was buddies with hoffman yeah wow okay upon interviewing one of kohler's friends investigators learned that this was not a political statement but the quote conclusion of a personal disaster so kohler was socially isolated he was disappointed in with life and really angry when he carried out this attack according to this friend as most of these people that do these types of attacks usually are they kind of fit that mold yes but we're going to dig into that a little bit more Um, So investigators determined it was perpetuated solely by him because, again, they couldn't tie those explosives to anything that um, WSG had. And they thought that he intended to die. So they closed the case just two years later on November 6th, 1982. They didn't release a lot of the documents to the public um, on the investigation. So they're just like, nope, we're done. This is it. He did it. We're out. Huh. That seems a little shady. Okay. Yeah. So, this theory of the single attacker did not sit well with many people, including witnesses that were there, victims, um, politicians, attorneys, and local law enforcement, even uh, other than the investigators. So, according to one witness, Frank Louder Young, 
Kohler was seen talking to two individuals in big parkas about a half an hour before the bomb went off. One of them was looking into the bag where the bomb was transported, and those two people couldn't be located or identified and never came forward as witnesses. Hmm. Louder Young also saw Kohler placing the bomb in the trash can. But in 2010, previously unreleased documents that I just talked about, they were released, and they kind of blew all of this wide open. So Louder Young just so happened to also be a neo-Nazi extremist, and he was an, an informant for one of Germany's intelligence agencies. Oh, so he's a mole. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he was only a few meters away from the trash can when it exploded, but he had no injuries at all. So he claims that he had a bad feeling, that's a quote, and threw himself to the ground before the blast. So even if that were true, though, he followed Kohler for at least 30 minutes leading up to the explosion, because that's when he said he saw him talking to those other people. Right. Parkas. So when um, investigators asked him about it, he said that he was attracted to Kohler and he was, quote, looking for sex. And as a gay man, he couldn't be too forward about it. Huh. Okay. So that's his reasoning for following Kohler around. Is that he was, that thought he was attractive. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Other witnesses claim they saw Kohler arguing with someone right before the explosion. So we're fairly certain that he placed the bomb because of several different witness accounts, but there's also speculation that he actually didn't intend to die. So in those documents that were released in 2010, there were additional interviews from a bunch more of Kohler's friends, and they all said he absolutely was not isolated or mad at the world. They said he didn't have a negative attitude really about much and that he would never intentionally blow himself up. Oh, okay. So the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. And additionally, Kohler had spent the week before the blast visiting friends and family, working, and he was in um, like a small local band, and they even had a gig set up for the day after the attack. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So as for the bomb, that friend that told investigators that Kohler was socially isolated and wanted to die... He also told investigators that he saw the bomb in Kohler's workshop, but he's the only one that said that. And when Kohler's home was searched, they didn't find any equipment for bomb making. Um, They didn't find anything in terms of detonation, um, stuff to heat everything up. They didn't find anything like that at all. So investigators initially assumed a faulty fuse caused the bomb to go off because at the scene, they couldn't find any kind of detonator. So they couldn't find even a trace right. of a detonation device in any of the, of the debris. And interestingly enough, several witnesses remembered Kohler also having a white suitcase with him. And one even remembers it sitting on the ground by the destroyed trash can immediately after the explosion. But the suitcase wasn't found with any of the victims. It wasn't with any of the debris, and nobody else saw it. None of the officials, when they showed up, it was gone. Hmm. Okay. Which means somebody grabbed it, all right. Mm hmm. So, Carl Heinz Hoffman, the guy who started WSG, he denied that they were behind the attack. He claimed that Kohler was an innocent bystander and that the bomb was actually detonated by remote control by Italian backers of the attack. Which sounds a little wonky, but a couple weeks prior to this explosion, there had been an extremist attack in Bologna, Italy, and 85 people were killed. Whoa. So... 
Um, there were also some newspapers in Munich. They were receiving calls from um, people claiming to be part of that kind of cell um, in Bologna, and they claimed responsibility for the attack. But, I mean, as we know with bombings, it's common for extremist organizations to claim responsibility, whether they did it or not, you know, mm-hmm. for street cred and stuff. Right. So. Beware us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And another interesting point, a witness remembered seeing five men in a car outside the entrance to Oktoberfest the week prior, and she thought it was suspicious, so she wrote down the license plate. Well, when she took the information to authorities, they ran the plate and found out the car was registered to Kohler's father. But when they questioned his parents, his mother claimed that Kohler was home the whole night and she had no idea why the car would have been over at Oktoberfest. But here's the kicker. Kohler's mom and dad were out of town that weekend. So the investigators are just like, okay, well, I guess he was at home, even though Even though you can't there. verify exactly. it. Mm-hmm. He told us he was at home, therefore he was at home. Yep. So there's some speculation that Kohler was either doing recon or was maybe going to plant the explosive that day and didn't for some reason. But then who were the other four men? I mean, maybe Kohler was at home and whoever set him up stole the car. Yeah. There's like so many possibilities with this thing. And with all the advances in DNA, you would think nowadays investigators could process stuff like cigarette butts, all the glasses that people were drinking out of, things like that. And that would be true, except in 1997, all the evidence was destroyed by the police. So this is protocol, I guess, for closed cases, but it raised a lot of eyebrows because of so many unanswered questions. And up until 2014, officials stubbornly stood by their conclusions. They wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't answer any more questions. Just this is how it is. He did it. He was acting alone. But new evidence came to light, and there was um, a pretty intensive investigative journalism piece about it, and so they reopened the case. Um, There's also a documentary uh, that's actually really, really good, and I would highly suggest that everybody take a look at it, and I will remember the name in a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we'll post that then. Yes, yes. That one documentary. Insert yeah. name of documentary here. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Wow. Wow. Okay. So one key piece of evidence in the original investigation was a badly severed hand, which Im- officials, when they investigated it, they said it was Kohler's. So they found fingerprints that matched the hand in Kohler's apartment, and it was by the trash can. So they're like, great, this is Kohler's hand, right? But the problem is there were no matching fingerprints to that hand in his car at all. The car he drove that day. Yeah. And so another thing with this hand, it wasn't included in the destroyed evidence, but the chain of custody is so back and forth that it's lost. Nobody knows where this hand is. (laughs) So they can't do any like DNA or, you know, any kind of stuff like that. It's just gone in the wind. I'm thinking some kind of government agency knows more about this than what has been oh, released yeah. to the public. Yeah. Well, and here's, this is one of the reasons why the case was reopened. Um, a new witness came forward. She didn't really realize at the time that this was important information. She was a nurse at the hospital during the time of the explosion. And a young man was brought in with his hand missing and his entire arm ended up having to be amputated. 
And he wouldn't tell her how he lost it, just that it was in an explosion. And obviously the explosion happened that night. But the nurse claims he was very proud of the injury and was smiling the entire time and kind of boasting about it. Wow. He also never had any friends or like family members visit him, only groups of really quiet men. Huh. And a week after his amputation, he disappeared from the hospital before he even had his stitches out. Oh. And no one's been able to locate him or even identify him. Wow. Yeah. So even though they reopened the case and they reinvestigated all this stuff, there hasn't been any new official findings. And it was closed again this May with the same conclusion. (laughs) 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 Kohler did it by himself. Right. No. Yeah. Hmm. But they don't know why he did it. Correct. Well, they're still going with the original thing that the, the his one friend said of, well, he was mad at the world and, you know, what the MO is lately right. for that kind of stuff. But, I mean, they're basing so much off of, like, two or three people. Yeah. And there's all this other evidence from all these random people that don't even know each other, different... They were in different places, different times, and it's, that's kind of telling a different story than mm. what the investigators officially kind of put in the report yeah that's crazy so yeah i mean there's there's a ton of different options there's he did do it by himself but then if so where did he get the explosives they did do some investigation with there was um an arms dealer that he was buddies with but they can't find the arms dealer you know like people are yeah you know yeah oh yeah i got a buddy who's an arms dealer Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) what Oh, I guess if you're running neo-Nazi circles, though, then maybe you might. I don't know, but... Yeah. Jeez. Huh. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so I don't know. I kind of think it was a combined effort. I think he was part of it. Yeah. Um, But I don't think he was the only part of it. Yeah, and I definitely think that he didn't intend to die. No. Yeah, that, that it did just go off really quickly after he... You know, yeah. However, he ignited it. Yeah, you know, whatever that method may have been. Well, I think it was the suitcase, and then the other people came and took it. Like I think the detonator oh, was in that suitcase. So it was a remote thing. Oh, it didn't okay. have a very far radio to it, and so then, it had to be near the garbage can. Yeah, and then that makes more sense. And then Louder Young or whoever took it when they left. Ooh, that's what I think. So, so Louder Young's a, a double agent that backstabbing is. His people that he was trying to uh, uh-huh. rap for or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but he died two years after the explosion, so we oh, can't how'd he die? ask him. Heart attack. Seriously. Heart attack, quote unquote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just about the air quote. Hmm. At 29. Well, we'll have to watch that documentary you can't remember the name of. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I didn't write it down because I'm... Pam. Not, yeah. Just <laughs> it's me. fine. I'll post it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, wait. I remember it now. Oh, oh. okay. Do you want to know? Yeah. Yes. It's called Assassins, a single perpetrator. That's a terrible name. <laughs> Isn't it? Assassins? Mm-hmm. That's not Assassins. That sounds like a movie. It really does. Or it's like some, a bad movie from the 90s. Well, some bad video game name right? like title. Yeah. Wow. They they call it a documentary, but it's very much conspiracy theory, the government's behind it. Uh, Sounds like it. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, I'm down with watching a good conspiracy theory video every once in a while, though. So, especially a historical one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love a good conspiracy theory, man. Not to say I believe them, but it's always fun to see where people go with it. You go, oh, that is an intriguing point. Okay. Or that makes no (laughs) sense, but whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. I really do enjoy a good conspiracy too. Yeah, like all the nine eleven stuff. But you have to go level headed, oh, like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That loose change video that was going around after nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we watched that one. That was good times. We watched the moon one. Yeah, they're just fun. Yeah, good times. All right. Yeah, Mary, what do you got for well, good us? Good job, Pam. I'm Thanks, glad you guys. remembered the name, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> assassins. How could I forget something that awesome? I know. It's <laughs> such a bad name for that. I mean it. it Again, it, it, it would make sense if it was like some bad Jean-Claude Van Damme movie or something like that. But, yeah, as far as a documentary, that's terrible. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is when Pam was telling us, she thought she had written down the documentary name, but just had put Oktoberfest. And she's like, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> not called Oktoberfest. But, I mean, that makes a little more sense than the other one <laughs> actually right? yes yes it does <laughs> either way i would go into each of those titles expecting something different <laughs> one i'm expecting a wacky comedy about beer drinking friends that make their way to munich but the other one yeah, yeah no <laughs> all right you guys so my myth today is about the nalus afalaha and it's a tale that comes from the choctaw tribe of north america The tribe is from the southeastern states, such as Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and Alabama. Now, the Choctaw have many great tales, but the Na Las Afalaha... (laughs) Nailed it. Good job. I've been practicing all week, and I probably still have slaughtered it. Um, The translation means long black bean. Ooh. Which is a lot easier to say. And yeah, by the way, that, that's being with a G, not a bean, not a long black bean, not a bean. It's not a not a legume. Not a bean. Not a beam. Bean. Got Be-ing. it. Got it. <laughs> All right. Eutonics <laughs> got the best of us again. So that is um, something that caught my attention when I was looking for a myth to do. Right. Yeah. Now, the description of it is that it's a tall, shriveled, human-like being (laughs) (laughs) that can stand upright, has very small eyes, a long nose, black skin, and some descriptions say has black fur, it has pointed ears, um, has the ability to shape-shift, and can talk. Now, they live in the marshlands and in the dense woods. Why am I picturing, like, Slender Man or something like that? That's exactly what I thought of, too. Yeah. It kind of looks like in... um, (laughs) There's no photos of it. (laughs) (laughs) So, the the renditions that I came across, it kind of looks like a... a, Almost like a werewolf. Okay. Very thin, tall. You can tell that it's a man, but, like, it does... Some drawings do have, like, light hair on it, and then it's got, like, this... I would go with, like, a a werewolf. Okay, so it's just kind of a gaunt werewolf Mm -hmm. of sort. Okay. Yes. Now, 
It can transform also into a snake-like creature and slither around on the ground. And if that wasn't creepy enough, it can also melt into the form of a shadow where it likes to lurk in the long shadows of the approaching twilight. Oh, that's good. Oh, creepy. That's good. I like that. So let's cancel that camping trip. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the Nalas Afala um, were rather sneaky when it would hunt their human prey. In fact, they would just watch the Choctaw hunters from the shadows and follow them along until it was time. Then again, using the shadows, they would move closer to their target or slither across the ground ever so quietly, with the end result always being the same. They would rise from the ground and say the name of the hunter. When the hunter would turn around, they were so affected by what they were looking at that they would lose consciousness and fall helplessly to the ground. Since their victim was unable to fight back, the Nalas Afalaha would insert a thorn into their foot or hand. A thorn, you say? That doesn't sound so bad. You beat me to the punch. <laughs> I'm on to you. But in fact, this thorn would end up driving the person mad and actually made them unwillingly carry out evil acts against other people and their loved ones. Oh, this is a good cryptid. Yeah. As the tale goes, the hunter wouldn't at first remember being attacked by them, right? But once they started performing their evil deeds, they would recall the incident of running into them. And if that didn't creep you out enough, let me tell you briefly of their offspring. The children (laughs) of the Nalas Afalaha are said to have (laughs) a luminous appearance, unlike their shadowy parents. Now, the children can remove their internal organs, which gave them an even smaller appearance, since, again, they're they're teeny, they're children, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And they would like to run around the woods with their organs in their hands, (laughs) but they love to hang out around the edges of the marshes and the swamps and have been given another name by those who don't know what they truly are, and that is Willow Wisps. So there is no way to protect yourself from them. So just be careful if you live in these states and like to hang out in the marshes or dense woods. Yeah. I would love to see a real life Will of the Wisp. I think that would be so cool. I was cool. picturing gummy worms for the kids. <laughs> Were you? Like they just look like a gummy worm. Oh, yeah. Without their organs. Yeah. And- oh, man. Yeah, no, the tales go like uh, some of the um, tales I would come across like on uh, Reddit that I read, like just of, you know, the stories being told down from them. I, I don't want to take their words from them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, they would say that they were always told that those were just the children darting through the forest or out by the swamps or marshes. The will of the wisps uh-huh. are. Oh. Yeah. And I was like, that's so creepy. That is way creepy. <laughs> but yeah, now I have another new fear of shadows already. <laughs> but they're not here, right? That's true. No. That is they're a in the south. really cool cryptid. Man, I love that. That's to make you do harm to others. Yeah. Yeah. It's got some very intricate details to it. The thorn, like the whole shape shifting into a shadow and stalking the prey mm-hmm. and all of that. It's good and creepy. But again, like, you know, like I, I always say, there's always some sort of truth in a myth, right? And these stories can definitely 
explain this phenomenon that people are seeing in these swamps oh, the and marshlands. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then also for someone who might just snap one day, like, oh, he was yeah. such a nice person. Mm. Uh, you know, oh, he's got a thorn. Maybe I'm using that next this. time. <laughs> <laughs> That's your defense plea? Uh, yeah. I had a thorn in my foot. Not just it any was, thorn. It was a <laughs> monster, because I don't know how to say it. Nalas afalaha. You're killing it with that, could you? Nice. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, so I, I, we all know by now I love the Native American story. Oh, yeah, they're so. great. They really are. The only sad part is is there isn't like a whole lot, especially when you get into like the smaller ones, like the the stick Indians, yeah, um, and other ones that we've done because the the well known ones are always the Skinwalkers and the oh, there's Wendigos and all that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so there you go. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that was really good. Yay! Cool. All right, that leaves me here. So the year is fifteen ninety five. Famed sea captain slash slave trader slash naval officer, Sir Francis Drake, is on a mission. Is that all on a business card? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, he would pass it around to his friends like on American Psycho. Uh, he has sailed to the northwest corner of Venezuela and is seeking to attack and take the town of Maracaibo, a Spanish settlement located where the largest lake in South America, Lake Maracaibo, meets the Caribbean Sea. It was the site of hundreds of homes of stilts around the lake that inspired the name of Venezuela, or Little Venice. Aw. Yeah. I never put that two and two together Mm -hmm. until I was researching this. I was like, oh, okay. I like Venice. Yeah. In the cover of darkness, his ships sail past the island of Aruba and move into the bay, ready to strike the unsuspecting Spaniards. But alas, his cover is blown and his fleet is run off. These things happen, but it was the manner in which their position was discovered that was the strange part. Lightning. But we aren't just talking about a standard lightning storm. Hell, it wasn't even raining at the time. A little bit of lightning, like we're accustomed to, wouldn't generally light the environment that much. No. Instead, Drake lost the battle thanks to what has since been called the Catatumbo Lightning. So what exactly makes this lightning so special? You may be asking yourself. Well, I'm glad you asked. If you travel to Lake Maracaibo any time of the year, you will in all probability get to witness the phenomenon for yourself. That's because Lake Maracaibo is treated to an amazing electric light show about 150 days a year. And it isn't just some passing storm either. These lightning storms last for about 10 hours at a time, with lightning flashing about every 28 seconds. It is because of this that Guinness Book of World Records has deemed this the place with the most lightning in the world. Wow. The storms are generally located at the spot where the Catatumbo River meets the lake. Thus, the name of the event. The locals are so used to it that they don't even pay attention to the storms anymore, but visitors will come to watch in awe from dusk till dawn as the light fills the sky. In fact, the area has become so famous for the lightning that the sailors of centuries past would refer to the phenomenon as the Maracaibo Lighthouse. Possibly the coolest part is that there is rarely thunder that accompanies the lightning. That's because most of the lightning bolts never touch the ground. Instead, they tend to jump from cloud to cloud, which only helps to illuminate the sky even more. 
Now, that's not to say that there is no thunder, though. With the amount of lightning going on at any given time, even a small percentage of ground hits is still a lot. In fact, there are four times as many people struck by lightning in this area than all of the United States each year. Oh, wow. Shocking. I know. Huh? Uh, <laughs> no? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All right. Oh Sorry about that. So you may be asking yourselves, why the hell is this happening? Well, scientists from all over the world are still asking that very same question. Sure, there are theories, but there are so many of them that it's difficult to say which one, if any, is correct. Theory number one. Zeus saw a spider and is trying to smite it. Okay, so that one is more wishful thinking than anybody's actual theory, and I'm pretty sure that I'm the only one that has proposed it at this point. So uh, That's I the like most it, plausible. Though. Yeah, yeah. Theory number two, methane. About 20 years ago, a scientist named Nelson Falcone discovered that the swamp areas around where the storms are centered have high concentrations of methane gas being emitted from them. But while a model of this theory was developed and proven to work, there is a big problem with it. If this were the case, then the storms would be more active in the drier months of January and February, as opposed to the wetter months of September and October. But as it stands, the Catatumbo lightning is far more active in the wetter months. In fact, back in 2010, El Nino caused a major drought in the area, which resulted in almost no lightning at all between January and March of that year. One interesting side note about this theory, though. Methane gas is generally a big contributor to the depletion of the ozone layer. However, the lightning storms generate so much ozone that it actually counteracts the effects of the methane and then some. Wow. Yeah. Theory number three, uranium. Back in the 1960s, a scientist named Andrew Zavrotsky studied the area and determined that the lightning was a result of cold air and warm air meeting in the area. Well, that's not exactly rocket science right there. That's just how lightning works anywhere. <laughs> so in order to spice up his theory, he threw in uranium deposits for good measure. Apparently, the area is rich in the stuff. But just how this might cause a light show that would make your local planetarium jealous, I don't know. Theory number four, the Andes. Honestly, this one is probably the most sound out of all of the theories, with the exception of my arachnophobic Greek deity proposal, that is. <laughs> About one kilometer above the lake is a wind pattern known as the Maracaibo Basin Nocturnal Low-Level Jet Stream, or the MBNLLJS for short. But again, I don't think anybody is actually using that one, so... <laughs> That wasn't that short, though. The shortening, the short version is not short. No, no. Uh, The stream of warm air comes over the lake from the Caribbean and swiftly makes its way across the lake at around the same time each evening. As it rushes across the lake, the air gains more and more moisture until it runs right into a little roadblock known as the Andes Mountains. Once it hits the mountains, the air has no place to go but up the mountain, which is notably quite a bit colder than the Caribbean. It's this upward thrust of hot air meeting cold air that causes a violent lightning storm. It's also why the bolts tend to stay in the clouds themselves, since there is now so much static electricity up there. Science! Woohoo! 
Again, though, this is still just a theory. Nobody knows for certain the exact cause of this wondrous lightning. It could very well be a combination of these theories. Like maybe the uranium causes more static in the air as it soars up the mountain. Or maybe Zeus has teamed up with the Boreas, you know, the four gods of the winds, to wreak havoc. I'm just saying, you can't rule it out. Whatever the cause may be, it is a sight to behold. I know I personally love a good lightning storm. In my opinion, lightning is the ultimate sign of just how mind-boggling and awesome nature can be. It's that combination of beauty and danger that keeps my eyes on the storm. Sadly, we just don't get that many good lightning storms here, though. Maybe three or four over the course of the warmer months. Though I did get to witness snow lightning several years back, and that was simply incredible to see. But as far as the carob, the yeah, excuse me, the catatumbo lightning, well, nobody knows. That's certain. interesting. Yeah. I want to go see it now. I know it's really cool. I couldn't help but keep giggling when you mentioned the Andes because we had just watched Hot Fuzz. <laughs> the Andes. Oh, the Andes. You know why, why we call them the Andes? Because they're both named Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> I love that movie. It's so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty neat phenomenon that's going on over there. Just so much lightning. Like I said, 150 days a year, 10 hours at a time. That'd this be lightning so is cool going to on. witness. Yeah, and it's over like these three primary areas because uh-huh. it's a big mouth of the river there. It's a big marshy area, but three primary areas are the the, the where the storm centers. But yeah, you know, sadly people come to see these storms and they don't really spend any money in these little villages that are just struggling Aww. so hard. They're little fishing villages, and they. they they they're scared to go out fishing on the lake though because yeah. of the lightning. It's too dangerous to be out there on the well, lake. Yeah. And so they've actually recently discovered ways to be able to predict when the storms are gonna happen. What? Yeah, they, you know, like months in advance. They can wow. predict it based on all sorts of wind patterns and weather patterns that are going on and everything else. That's and cool. they're hoping that they'll be able to then supply that to the fishermen so they know when is safe to go out and you know, get their goods yeah. and whatnot. But yeah, all these houses are on still still out there. You know, tons of them out on the the shores of the of the lake, and it's supposed to be just absolutely beautiful up there. I if mean, you it's go little out Venice, there, right? support them, buy yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what kind of merch would they have though? Fish. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to help you, them. With would their you merch. say make it rain? Oh. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. No. <laughs> no. Do not do that. <laughs> well, oh, I can't make bad jokes. No, but you can. No. Oh, only I'm allowed to make All bad right. jokes. Everybody knows this. <laughs> you don't want to make bad jokes, Pam. Okay. Uh, thank you again, Pam, for hosting us or helping us host. <laughs> I can't talk. Thanks for hosting us in our own home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. It's always a fun time. Uh, anyways, it you got it. Month. You got the gist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which I'm glad she said that because more, on more than one occasion, she's messed up that saying and said, you get the jizz. Oh! Uh, well, you know, sometimes. It works in either way. <laughs> Tomato, nail diamond. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, we appreciate it. And with that, why don't you sign us off? Say bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.